several weeks, the characters described in Hebrews 11 have been challenging us to develop our faith walk. Faith walk. Why is that worthy of challenging? Why is that worthy of developing? Because the Bible is very clear, more than one occasion, the just shall live by faith, and we walk by faith, not by sight. If our life as believers is to be lived by faith, then I've got to be examining my faith. In fact, I've got to be examining my life and begin to ask the question, what is motivating what I'm doing? Much like what Erica said moments ago, the paying attention to every detail and every decision and every word and every relationship of my life, why am I doing what I'm doing? Because if it is motivated by God, then it cannot fail. If it is motivated by man or the enemy, then it cannot succeed. I will not please God with man's ways. I will not enter into God's promises through my means. So every detail of my life, I submit to the Lord. I submit to the work and the scrutiny of the Holy Spirit so that he, so he can reveal to me whether I am walking by faith or by some other motivation. You say, well, what are the other motivations? Well, there's a lot of other motivations to live by. You can live by greed. You can live by fear. You can live by intimidation from other people. You can live by obligation. You can live because you you're trying to please someone else and keep everyone happy with you. Uh, but there's a lot of motivations out of which we live our lives. But the only one that pleases God, according to Hebrews 11, is the life that is lived by faith. Now, uh, now everybody's not going to want to step into the faith life because there's some challenges to it because you have to come to the place where you read Hebrews 11, 1 and find out that when you believe, you believe things you can't yet see. When you, let me take it all the way back to your salvation. When you accepted the Lord Jesus, you didn't see the whole picture of your whole life yet and the guarantee of the way every moment, every day was going to turn out. You didn't know. You just believed you were, you're trusting in Jesus for your salvation and he's the savior and somehow he's got the power to make this thing work. You couldn't see all the answers to all the questions. You couldn't see every direction you would need to take the rest of your life. You couldn't see all of that. But in that moment, you trusted Jesus and handed your life over to him. My friend, that is faith right there. When you put in the hands of a man you cannot visibly see and you cannot audibly hear, but you are willing to put your whole life, stake your life, your future on him and his ability to save and bring you direction. Friend, that is faith. Don't ever act like that the transaction of salvation, accepting the Lord Jesus, is junior level faith. Well, that's entry level faith. No, that is massive faith. Because you have trusted to someone you can't see visibly the, the content of your entire life. But the problem becomes... We don't always live every day in every way with that same level of faith. With everything to do with our finances and our children and our decision making and our priorities. And, our, and yet we're called to live and walk by faith. Because if we live in, I can't preach this all over, but it's so good. I want to. You just have to help me to move on. And if you'll, if you'll preach back to me, it'll help me move forward. Or at least I think it will. We'll try it. Uh, but the thing about, it can become very, very exciting to start living by faith. 
Because when you realize, if I live with every moment, I'm trusting God with everything, then you exit your abilities and you enter into God's abilities. You exit what you could do on your own and you enter into what God does on his own. And I'm going to tell you, his possibilities are limitless and endless. And where you end, he begins. Because he does exceeding, I'm about to get happy now, he does exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. That means if you're imagine if you can imagine it, that is only the beginning of where God is. And some of y'all got some pretty good imaginations. And that's only the beginning. So when you decide to start living this thing by faith, there's challenges to it. But wow, when you start seeing the rewards of trusting God. How many of you can testify, just shout at me, raise a hand or say, you know you saw when you trusted God and he stepped in and made it work. Is it not worth trying him again? And with everything that we will. And so it becomes very, very crucial that we live and we walk by faith. And so the folks in Hebrews 11 have been challenging us to develop that faith walk. And there's several that were they were named and we, we enumerated their stories. And, and when we're talking about Abel and Enoch and Noah and Abraham, we have to realize their faith walk, although we use them as examples, their faith walk was different than ours is. Because when we walk by faith, we are putting our faith in a redeemer who has already come. We know what he did at Calvary. We know his teachings. We know what he did for us. We know he expressed his love for us. We understand his sacrifice. We understand his miraculous abilities because he's already come and we borne witness through his word to, to who Jesus is and what he's capable of. But you realize for those in Hebrews 11, they were looking forward to redemption. It hadn't happened yet. Messiah had been promised, but not yet seen. So these folks had a relationship with God, but... They knew something better was coming. How do you know that? Well, Hebrews 11 is very clear. Verse 10 says, Abraham was looking for a city which has foundations whose builder and maker is God. Verse 13 says, these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and assured, were assured of them. Verse 16 said, they desire a better heavenly country and God has prepared a city for them. Verse 39 says, all these obtained a good testimony, but did not receive the promise. It was yet to come. And verse 40 says that God has provided something even better for us, they knew something better was coming. Can I just tell you, faith people always have a vision for the future. Abraham, Enoch, Noah, they had a vision that some, God is doing something bigger than me. God is taking me somewhere. God is moving in the earth and he's doing a collective redemptive work. And there's something more. And this is important because faith people don't just get, uh, get distracted and preoccupied by what's going on today. Because if you get preoccupied with what's going on today, you might get real discouraged about it. 
You might get fearful of it. You might get bogged down in it. You might decide to give up in it. You may, if you don't keep your eyes lifted to the hills, if you don't set your mind on things above, if you don't focus on Jesus, then you might forget that this day is not all there is. And the enemy loves to make us try to feel like, well, we're not going to get past this. I don't know how this is going to turn out. I'm preaching myself this morning on something. The enemy loves to give us the temptation to only see what is. And to get so wrapped up in its emotions, its pains, its obligations, its responsibilities, until we're enmeshed and immersed in something that is present, but we're forgetting that there's something yet to come. But faith people know something better is coming. They have a perspective of what's ahead. And we need that same revelation. If we have a relationship with God, we need to know. We need to be convinced and convicted every day that we live that no matter what I'm walking through today, something better is coming. There was a lady that has passed many, many years ago who was part of this church. She was as busy as any, as any person in this church ever was. She kept herself busy doing kingdom work. She would find you at a low point and be your champion. She would love people to the, uh, the deepest and the furthest extent. She did. She was involved in everything she could be involved in. She was a, she was a prayer warrior. She was an encourager. Uh, she was in music. She did all these things. Her name was Bobby Williams. And Bobby Williams, I would, would never be in my presence without almost, um, there was probably an exception somewhere, but almost you were never in Bobby Williams' presence that she did not say these words. She would say, Good things are happening, but better things are on the way. Good things are happening, but better things are on the way. And you know what? Here's the reality of Bobby's life. She always had a smile. She was always up. And that didn't mean their whole life was easy. It doesn't mean that she wasn't facing things that were difficult. But because she had a faith perspective that I am hooked up to a God who has a plan. You're hooked up to God who has a plan. For everything you're walking through, you are connected to the God that has a plan. She knew that, and so she would say, good things are happening and better things are on the way. You know what she didn't say? She didn't say, well, there's a lot of bad things happening. Well, Pastor, was she just ignorant of that? She just buried her head in the sand? Oh, no, she knew quite well what was going on in the world and in people's lives. She just didn't choose to focus on it. Some of us just need to refocus and remember that God is doing things right now, and he's going to continue to be doing things. And, 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 and you say, well, I don't know that I believe better things are on the way. I mean, do you know what end-time prophecy is supposed to bring? Do you know what's going to happen in our world? Do you know? I'm not talking about the world. I'm talking about me and my life as a believer in Jesus in the kingdom. Because if I read the Bible, I find out that for me what's coming is that I am changed from glory to glory. I find out from the book of Ephesians that the church is going to come into the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God into a perfect man and into the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's what the Bible promises is coming for us. He, he promises us in Ephesians that we are going to be changed into the glorious church and that we are going in First Corinthians or Second Corinthians 
that we are going to become the ambassadors of Christ and the ministers of reconciliation. Jesus said we're going to take the gospel to all nations and we're going to see an end time harvest and outpouring of the spirit which he said was going to happen in the last days. So for those of you that go, oh, we're in the last days. That's right. So there's a lot of negative, but there's a lot of positive because God is pouring out his spirit. Well, the devil is pouring out a lot of his mess. That's right. But God is pouring out his spirit on planet earth because he doesn't want this people to go down without a fight. Jesus' blood paid for the salvation of every single life on planet earth and he would like to get what he paid for. Well, but pastor, all those people aren't going to be saved. I understand that, but he wants all of them possible saved. So he's going to be at work. And if you believe the book of Mark, what's ahead for us as believers? Well, there's probably some days of difficulty and persecution. There may be, but I know that when that happened in the early church, what they ended up doing was taking the gospel everywhere And then the gospel began to flourish in its power and you find out that if those who will begin to preach the gospel, those are those who believe, in other words, faith people, they get to see signs following. And they lay hands on the sick and people recover. And they get to see that the demonstration of God is behind his word. That's what happens when you live by faith. And if all of that is not enough for you to be encouraged by this morning... I'll just, lift your, I'll just lift your awareness one notch higher and remind you that when all of this is done, we're going to be translated into an eternal, glorious, peaceful, perfect kingdom where there'll never be a tear, never be a night. The sun will never set because it's not the burning glow in the sky, but it is the sun, S-O-N, and he never sets. The Lamb of God in that city is the light. And I know there's some days that seem long on this planet. But man, it's going to seem like nothing. In the light of eternity when we've been there with him for thousands of years. And then have nothing but thousands of years to look forward to. Of glory and peace and order and the presence of Jesus. So yes, good things are happening and better things are really on the way. For the believer, something better is always coming. I'm setting you up now for where we're going next because the folks in Hebrews 11, it's clearly indicated they knew something better was coming. And then when you turn the page to chapter 12, you receive the description of it. So in verse 18 of Hebrews 12, thank goodness we come to our text this morning, finally. For you have not come, you... Now he's talking to believers. Hebrews 11, he's, he's describing these, the patriarchs and all that they lived through and all that they... Now he's, he says, you have not come. He's talking to believers. You've not come to the mountain that may be touched and that burned with fire and to blackness and darkness and tempest and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words so that those who heard it begged the, that the words should not be spoken to them anymore. For they could not endure what was commanded. And if so much of a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned or shot with an arrow. And so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I am exceedingly afraid and trembling. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God. Now we're on Psalm 24. The heavenly Jerusalem 
to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly in the church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. Well, pastor, what is, what is all of that talking about? What is that first portion referring to? He says, we haven't come to a mountain that can be touched and burned with fire and blackness and tempest and terrifying sights and fear and trembling. What is he talking about there? Well, that wasn't some hypothetical poetic language. He was referring to an actual moment in Israel's history that sounded like this in Exodus 19. Then the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their clothes and let them be ready for the third day for on the third day the Lord will come down upon Mount Sinai in the, mount, in the sight of all the people. You shall set bounds for the people all around saying, take heed to yourselves that you do not go up to the mountain or touch its base. Whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. Not a hand shall touch him but he shall surely be stoned or shot with an arrow, whether man or beast, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds long, they shall come near the mountain. Then it came to pass on the third day in the morning, verse 16, that there were thunderings and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain, and the sound of the trumpet was very loud, so that all the people who were in the camp trembled. This was the description of when Moses went up Mount Sinai to meet with God and receive the law. The law on Mount Sinai. Accompanied by the fear and trembling, the darkness, the cloud, the scary voices, the threat of if you touch the mountain. And, and remember God said, I need you to come near the mountain, but don't touch it. So now to obey God, you've got to go near it, but you can't touch it lest you die. Fear and trembling associated with this mountain. Because this was the mountain where the law was given. This was the first system of relationship that man was given with God. And in this system, animal sacrifice was necessary because the blood of those animals was what would make a covering for our sin so that you would be able to be in covenant with God because of that blood in relationship with him, but it required the sacrifice of animals to do so. And then, because of what was given to Moses on the tablets, on the mountain, the other feature of this system of relating to God was strict obedience to every single law. You're going to have to obey all the laws, and then, at the, because at some point you won't, then we're going to have to slaughter animals and their blood is going to come back to the altar. And actually that's going to happen again and again, year after year. It's going to continue. You're going to be living really in constant fear. You're going to see God through a very dark veil. In fact, his presence you can't approach. Because when the tabernacle is erected, now we're going to put a veil between man and that presence. You see God only as judge and there's a constant awareness of your weakness and your failure. That was the reality of living under the law. That is what Hebrews was, de was describing in chapter 12 in that first portion that we read. This is the darkness and the smoke. This is negativity. This is not a relationship with God that seemed like a lot of bells and whistles and a lot of rejoicing. Now, why? 
Why was that the reality, the repeated animal sacrifice, the constantly having to be aware of whether you're obedient or disobedient and sinning and, and, and the cycles of, of failure, God's threats and judgment always looming? Why? Because the law didn't change us. This was the problem of the law. It outlined, it outlined what would be necessary for you and I to live in a relationship to God, but it didn't change us to actually give us the capacity to do it. It just demanded perfect obedience. We weren't given God's heart. We weren't given godly abilities. And here those folks were then, a fallen people inheriting a sin nature incapable of the perfection required by the law, and yet that was the demand. And even though Hebrews 12 that we just read declares to us that we have not come to that mountain, Mount Sinai, the mountain of the law, the mountain of performance, the mountain of perfection, the mountain of darkness and fear, and we're always aware of God only as being the judge, even though Hebrews 12 declares we haven't come to the mountain of Sinai, that's the exact mountain some of us have come to in our walk with God. Hebrews 12 tells us that is not the mountain as believers we are to come to, yet some of us are living on that mountain today. I don't mean that because the law is still in activity over you. I mean... That's because that's the mountain we choose to live on. To where we are only aware of sin and disobedience and failure. We are only relating to God as judge. You remember how Jesus said we relate to God? Go back to his, his, uh, his explanation of prayer. And when a believer speaks to God in prayer, how does that prayer open? Our Father. Not our judge. Why? Because if you've come to Jesus and submitted yourself to him and brought yourself under his blood, then the judgment has already been dealt with. Jesus took that for you. And now when you approach God under the blood of Jesus in a right relationship with him, you don't come in fear and trembling. You don't think every minute he's about to destroy me. You're not only aware of how many failures you've had and, and how many sacrifice. Well, Pastor, I don't believe in sacrificing. Do you not? Because I think you do. What do you mean? Well, some of you punish yourself or you feel like you need to do penance for things. You need to suffer over what you've done. And every time you try to make yourself suffer over something you've done, you are saying Jesus' suffering wasn't quite enough. Because I need to suffer over this thing just a little bit more. Meanwhile, 1 John says that if we sin, we have an advocate with the Father. And when we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Not when we beat ourselves down or walked through penance or done years of a guilt service or, or lived under a condemnation. Then he forgives us. No, when we confess our sin, he forgives us. And then he cleanses us. That is the simplicity of walking by faith in the grace mountain. But some of us are still living on the law mountain, which is Sinai. We're still under this 
The only way I'm going to be right with God is by, you know, obedience and being perfect. Now, I know your theology on the surface is better than that, and you wouldn't say that. But if I look into the way you actually live your life, that's how you feel. That you are having to constantly live up to these different measures of godly perfection or God's upset, God's disappointed, God's going to come after you, God's going to lower the boom, you're going to not be walking with God anymore, and you will punish yourself over a mistake that could have been dealt with as easily as, Lord, I confess my sin and I'm sorry. And he says, yes, you're forgiven, let's move on. But we make it a much bigger deal because we're living on Sinai and we're not living on Zion. He said, you can come to that mountain. They did in the Old Testament, but you don't have to come to that mountain. It's a mountain of fear. If your walk with God and your experience with him is only being afraid of him, you're on the wrong mountain. It's a mountain of performance to where everything, you can't, some of you can't receive good things from God because you think you haven't been good enough yet. Some of you won't even ask for the Lord to do certain things and you that his word promises because you don't feel like you measure up yet. That's performance-based. You're putting your trust in your abilities. Please stop it. Start putting your, your trust in the abilities of Jesus at the cross. It's a place of hopelessness because when you're on Sinai, you're not even thinking about a changed heart. You're not even thinking about God doing an inside work in your heart and then working out that salvation. You're only seeing God as judge. You had a constant need for self-punishment. And if you live there, you're on the wrong Mountain, because the writer of Hebrews kept on writing and said in 22, but you have come, here's the mountain you've come to, Mount Zion, and to the city of the living God, and the heavenly Jerusalem, an innumerable company of angels, the general assembly and the church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect. Wait a minute. Read that slow. Who's on that mountain? Men who were able to live perfectly? Nope, that's not what it said. Men who were justified, just men, who were made perfect. They, didn't, they couldn't live perfect in themselves, but because they were in Jesus, his blood, his robe of righteousness made them perfect. Okay, well, you're trying to figure that out or you're not sure of it or something else. Let me move on. To Jesus, the mountain you've come to has Jesus on it, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel, because you know Abel's blood spoke. The Bible talks about that fact. So that first mountain, Sinai, was the mountain of the law. But Mount Zion is the mountain of grace. It is the mountain of God's kingdom. And for those in this room who may be away from God, what do you mean by that? I mean, you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. He's not forgiven you of your sin and made you a new creation. You are not walking with God. You are not ready for heaven because you are not headed there. If you are not in a relationship with Jesus today, you're away from him, then the mountain I'm inviting you to is Mount Zion. Sometimes we got churches inviting people to the wrong mountain too. They're inviting them to Sinai, and they feel it when they walk through the door because they immediately realize, I can't live up to these people's expectations. 
I can't look like them immediately. I can't, I can't, I, I've got some things to work through. I've got some years to overcome. I've got baggage. I've got, I, I'm not sure about all the things that they seem to be sure about. And they figure out real quick that Sinai is our mountain because you have to live in sinless perfection before we'll, we'll associate with you. Of course, none of us are doing that because we can't live that way either. But there's a lot of places and a lot of believers has given that air off to people. And so the mountain I'm inviting you to, if you're not in an active relationship with Jesus today, is to Mount Zion, which is not the law, it is not a religion, it is not a philosophy, it is a shift in your citizenship where you transfer out of the kingdom of darkness, the domain where the enemy rules, and you have a future waiting for you in eternity in hell, you have no hope of your life or your heart ever changing. You come out of that kingdom of darkness and the Bible says you're translated into the kingdom of God's dear son. The place where now like Ezekiel says, he said there's a day coming when I am going to take their heart of stone, give them a heart of flesh, and then I'll be their God. Because on Mount Zion, when you come to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant. His blood is not just covering up your sin long enough for God to not kill you. His blood cleanses you to the point that you're made a completely new creation. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things are passed away and all things become new. You say, I don't know that I could ever put down this struggle, this habit, this addiction. No, you probably can't. But the new you in Jesus sure will. It's a different mountain. That's the one I'm inviting you to today. It's not just rules and regulations, but it's relationship with your creator, with your savior, with your healer and deliverer and your friend and your helper and your companion and your counselor. That's what the Bible calls him. It's into the government of God's kingdom. You say, Pastor, I really am wore out with this world and its system and things I see in all the different areas and even in our government and it all seems so corrupted and confused and, and, and that's right. But that's because it's not built on eternal principles. It's not built on an eternal redeemer. But when you move into God's kingdom because you make Jesus Lord. Now you move into an eternal kingdom where there's a real ruler and he's faithful and he's good and he's just and he has love for all of his subjects because he happened to have died for all of them. And for those of you who are already believers, some of you need to switch mountains today. And I say this as lovingly as I can because I know what it's like to believe Jesus, trust him and love him, but live over on Sinai. I lived that many, many years myself. It's a frustrating, fearful place. Does it feel like you're going to grow or gain any traction or be able to do anything for God? Because you're only aware of all your sin all the time and all your failures and all your weaknesses. You don't realize that there's a new mountain to live on. So some of us who are believers in this room, you need to switch mountains today. You love Jesus, but if you're still on Mount Sinai, 
where it's all about the law and your performance and your failures. And It's time to move over to Mount Zion. Some things you need to remember about these two mountains as I close. Sinai, study your geography, was a desert. But Zion, as is referenced here, is a thriving, vibrant, alive city. There's life, there's living things happening. Sinai was connected to Egypt. Remember, because they, that's even what they told Pharaoh. We're going to go to the mountain and worship. It was about what we came from and what we did to get delivered from where we came from. But Mount Zion, if you read the New Testament, is about heaven. It's not connected to Egypt. It's connected to heaven. It's connected to where you're going. See, if you stay on Sinai too long, you'll stay connected to where you went, where you came from. But when you get over on Mount Zion, it'll hook you up to where you're going. Sinai repelled everyone but Moses. Remember that? They couldn't come near, just Moses. And, but Zion rece receives all who believe in Jesus. Jesus said, if anybody comes to me, I won't cast them out. On Sinai, everyone was afraid of God. But on Zion... Jesus said to his followers, I've called you friends. See the contrast and the difference? On Sinai, God sat at a distance. But on Zion, God came to touch us. And John said it like this about Jesus. We touched him and we handled him, the word of life. Jesus made himself touchable. There was a time when God couldn't be touched. But Jesus said, because of the new covenant, the new mountain, now you can come touch me. So I don't know which mountain you're living on this morning. But if you're living on Sinai, you're on the wrong mountain. You need to know you can receive grace. You can draw near to God. He's not holding you at arm's distance scared you'll get close to it. You can flourish and thrive in the kingdom and God's kingdom can come and his will can be done in your life right now. So whether you're already a believer in Jesus or whether you're not, prayer team is coming, staff is coming now and placing yourselves around all the perimeter of the stage, please. Whether you are already a believer or whether you're not but you need to switch mountains this morning I'm going to challenge you to call the movers now don't live on Sinai one more day you don't have to don't live over there under the law one more day when Jesus fulfilled the law this walk now is just by trust in him. So in just a moment, I'm going to ask everybody to stand. When we stand, if you need to turn your life over to Jesus, you need forgiveness of sin and a brand new life, then you're coming to the mountain of Zion. Or maybe you're already a believer. 
but you've been living like you're on Sinai forever and it's time for you to come over to Zion. Either way, when I say stand, either way, you come and let one of these folks pray with you. And if you need to accept Jesus for the first time or you're coming back to him, let them know that so they can pray. I'm just telling you right now, I'm not expecting two people. I'm expecting many because I know where we live as believers. We need to change mountains this morning. Walk out of here with victory. Walk out out from under the darkness. Walk in the kingdom. Are you ready? Let's stand together. And if you need to come and switch mountains, come right now. Come, let's pray right now. Make today the last day you live under condemnation and dread and fear. Switch mountains today.